0: Hello there! Welcome to this week's episode of One Percent Better, and a few things to catch you all up on before we talk about today's guest. Because I haven't done an intro in a while, and a few things just to to share. So, did you check out last week's episode with James Moffat on Icky Guy and storytelling? Icky Guy is around purpose, and storytelling is what he's very good at. He's put together interactive storytelling processes or frameworks for kids and for business well worth a listen james is a pretty good storytelling voice as well so check that out that was last week today this morning before he did this intro i had an interview with a gentleman on the west coast ray ortega podcast helper on twitter he's been doing podcasting and audio and video work for 15 plus years in a professional capacity and while the episode talked a lot about podcasting and the origins and the work he does and other areas within the podcasting world, it was very much also focused about how he works how he executes on his plans creativity control freedom and all of those sort of topics mixed in very enjoyable left a, a huge amount of other stuff to catch up with rayon in the future i will share that one over the christmas probably into the new year i'll also put out an episode around the books i read this year the top 8 or 10 maybe like last year that one i did last year for 2018 books i read was very well received I'll put all the books on the website if they're not already there read a passage or two out maybe share a couple of insights and uh, hopefully you'll get something out of that so a couple of those coming up a few other interviews done and we'll release more episodes than normal over the holiday period all going well with a bit more free time on the hands and nice to share them out because maybe christmas is a good time bit of downtime you might listen to more podcasts when you're out running with your new runners um or your new fitbit that you want to track and things like that you get over christmas perhaps Okay, feedback is always good and I always ask for it but don't always get it. That's okay. You might get one or two percent of your listeners that give it. I got a nice email just today from a lady called Breffney Breffney thanks for sending it in. Great to hear you enjoy the podcasts. I mentioned running. You do a lot of running and podcasting is brilliant to listen to on long runs for sure. So, thanks for listening into 1% better. You even mentioned the 864 which is still happening, but maybe not as frequent. I have a few of those lined up as well. Definitely get back in touch. Let me know if you have any guests that you think I should target for season four or other topics that maybe we could talk about. On Twitter at the moment, I'm uh, trying to entice Ronnie O'Sullivan, the snooker player, to be a guest because I have episode 147 coming up. I think he'd be a good fit. So if anyone listening, as any links into Ronnie or maybe send him a tweet and suggest he become episode 147's uh, guest that would be wonderful um, but again anyone at all any topic at all that I haven't covered I'll be building a list for season four that'll start in uh, 2020 early on and that will hopefully be fun other things in 2020 i'm trying to do a revamp of the newsletter it is an informational newsletter it shares out the last few episodes one percent better episodes It also sends out um the one minute mondays and some blog posts which are ongoing and hopefully make it a little bit more user-friendly or interactive one of the things i do hope to do next year is offer a listener if you're interested in some coaching uh four session free session um to a lucky listener, uh, but you have to sign up through the the newsletter, and I can do a draw in the new year around that. More to come on that. But if you know of anyone that might benefit from a few coaching sessions in the new year, take a new direction in your career, go for that promotion, anything like that. As a qualified coach, I love doing that work with folks, and thought as a nice thing to do, uh, offer out uh, a four session engagement, which typically costs a few quid. Um, I won't put a number on it, but if you're interested and you haven't signed up to the newsletter, do so. Drop me an email and uh, probably do a raffle type random draw at some point in the new year. Tell your friends about it as well. It's a good way to hopefully get more folks connected in and listen. Okay, so that's a good ramble, five minutes there. Today's guest, this week's episode is with a lady called Missun Zayed. She is An inspirational character and somebody that was brought to my attention through a contact in the US. When I dug a bit more into her story, I was like, get this lady on the show if possible. I didn't think I'd be able to attract her, but she was kind enough to do it. She says she doesn't do many podcasts. She's a comedian, but she's also a cerebral palsy sufferer, uh, has that disability from practically from birth. And she's from Palestine originally, and she lives in New Jersey. She said there's a lot of things going on in that, but she faces her challenges head on. She was an expert tap dancer, even with the disability. And she's really working on trying to destigmatize disabilities in general. She's got a book out at the moment called Finding Another Dream, which we talk about a TED Talk, which has been viewed millions of times she's worked with adam sandler on the movie don't mess with the zohan and she has funny stories to tell about that so i hope you enjoy listening to this one with Maysoon. soon i enjoyed chatting with her she was a bit fluish at the time so again even more generous with her time even when she's not feeling so well so thanks for that and i think we'll talk again in the new year that's it enjoy the episode with me soon zaid good luck
1: Welcome to another edition of the 1% Better podcast with your host, Rob O'Donoghue.
0: Hey folks, welcome to 1% Better, another week, another episode. And again, I'm jumping over the pond to the States, to New Jersey this time. And my guest this week is Masoon Zaid. Welcome to the show.
1: Nice to meet you,
0: Brilliant to have you on, uh, delighted that we were able to connect. You have so many, I guess, roles, and I say this to a lot of the folks I talk with, but some of the roles you've played or, or continue to play are a bit different than others I've talked with, so I'm really excited to hear about uh, your career and, and some of the, would it be fair to say you've faced challenges all the way through your, your life and had to rise up to those?
1: I think it's fair to say that, yeah. <laughs>
0: Can you talk to me about, this was the very first challenge that you might have had to tackle head on and, and that's certainly around the area of cerebral palsy and would love to know about your challenges with that and how you've come out on the other side and how you've become a, an advocate for people with disabilities.
1: So I'm a stand-up comic and on stage I say in the Oppression Olympics I'd win a gold medal. Because I'm Palestinian, I'm Muslim, I'm a woman of color, I'm disabled, and I, you know, Donald Trump's my president. So it doesn't get worse than right now. Um, I, my first challenge, I guess, in, in life was being, was having c- cerebral po- palsy. So the doctor who delivered me was drunk. I lost oxygen during birth, and that affected my coordination. And cerebral palsy is different in everyone. So some of us are wheelchair users. Some of us are nonverbal. In my case, I shake all the time. So I shake it like Taylor Swift, but she wants to, and mine's involuntary. And I have to tell you the truth. Growing up, I didn't know it was a big deal to be disabled. I didn't really encounter bullying and discrimination until I was an adult because my parents treated me equally to my three older sisters. And my friends, I've had the same friends since I was in kindergarten, they never made fun of me, they never bullied me, they always waited for me. I never felt like I was an other or that I couldn't keep up. I knew I was disabled. It definitely wasn't a secret. You know, I had to do exercise and I walked slower and I had a problem writing. But I didn't realize being disabled was such a big deal until I went to college. And when I went to college and left my, you know, tight-knit small town, that's when people started looking at me differently. Because when you're disabled and you're a kid, it's cute. When you're disabled and you're an adult, people don't really know what's going on. And like if any of your fans uh, watch any of my videos, you'll see my cerebral palsy happens to make me look like I'm drunk all the time. So I can walk, but I stumble. I talk, but I slur and so on and so forth. So a lot of people from the age 18 on just assume I'm drunk. So I go to jump in my car to drive, and people will come up to me and be like, don't do it, man. It's not worth it. You don't want to take a life. And I'm like, okay, if I had drank, I would be walking straight. And the first discrimination I ever received was when I was in college, and I was in an English writing class. And the professor came up to me, and at the top of his lungs said, can you read? And I was like, okay, first of all, I'm not deaf. Second of all, yes, obviously I can read. I'm in college. And that's when I started realizing that being disabled in America wasn't all it was cracked up to be.
0: Mm, wow. And growing up that you weren't, that your community were just treating you like anyone else, which which was brilliant. And, and I would say to, to me that sounds almost that it would be, Um, the exception to the rule in lots of ways. It is,
1: it's the exception to the rule. And I didn't know that because you asked me when I became a disability advocate. I didn't become a disability advocate until 15 years into my career. I became a disability advocate when I did a TED talk in 2014. And when I did that TED talk, they translated it into 42 languages. And people from all across the world and across America started writing me and telling me Their parents were abusive. They treated them like a burden. Their parents sheltered them too much. They couldn't date. They couldn't find jobs. They couldn't find love. They couldn't. And I didn't realize how privileged I was because the way I was raised was the way that I knew. And for me to find out that so many other people were not accepted, that kids worldwide are bullied day and night, it never stops because we have social media. So they bully them during the day at school, then they bully them at night at home. I didn't know about that. I didn't know that in the United States of America, it's still legal to pay disabled people subminimum wage. It's still legal to forcibly sterilize us so all these things I didn't realize until I did the TED talk my advocacy work started as an Arab American living in America post 9-11 so the first 10 years of my career I was all about like creating positive images of Arabs and Muslims in media and then I did the TED talk and I was like oh the disabled community is really under siege and I need to step up and do this
0: yeah I watched your ted talk the ninety nine problems palsy is just one uh, that was a very powerful one and 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 really the title says says it all the word disability how are you around that in interested in your take on it
1: so um I'm part of a big group of adults that believe that using the word disabled destigmatizes it I don't like the word special needs. My needs are not special, they're needs. I'm not differently abled. I'm not a superhero who has different abilities. So I shake, but I can fly. I'm disabled. And there's nothing wrong with being disabled because 20% of the world population is disabled. So I feel like if I use the word with no shame and that I don't mind it being part of how I describe myself, that it empowers other people with disabilities to not feel shame. And the reason that we like the word disabled instead of people with disabilities is because the width makes it sound like we could just leave it. So like, I'm a person with a disability and I can be like, oh my God, Rob, I forgot my disability at home. Let me go get it. Like, it never leaves me. It's part of who I am.
0: Yeah. And and embracing it in that way, I guess, is is the right way to, or is, is a positive way of doing it, right?
1: It's a positive way of doing it. Yeah.
0: Just about cerebral palsy for folks that are listening. I haven't interviewed somebody before that 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 has the disability. Doing my research, it's it's non-aggressive in that it doesn't get it worse over time. I read, but is it something you can you can improve on over time? Can you? Is there a reversal of it?
1: So. The entire thing really depends on each body. It's so different in everyone. So, for example, I happen to be much uh, more stable. I walk better. I talk better because when my career took off and I started making money in the United States, money is the difference between being healthy and being unhealthy. So when I started you know, making money, I got a yoga instructor that comes to me every day. I got a vocal coach that helped me enunciate so that I could do media and be easier um, to hear. Uh, just so our listeners know, I have a horrible, horrible cold right now, which is why I sound kind of stuffy. But um, I have improved immensely because I've been able to pay people to help me improve in general people do get progressively worse because the older you get, the more your body breaks down. So if you already have a pre-existing physical condition as you age and get arthritis and your knees start to wear out, of course it's going to be worse than it was before. But no, it's not something that'll kill you.
0: Very good. And it's it sounds like from, again, reading and listening to your TED Talk about yoga and and getting... All these extra, I suppose, assistance, uh, it, it's, it's made you probably even more determined to keep pushing forward. Talk to me about dancing school and, and tap dancing on Broadway and how, how that, I suppose, challenge turned into effectively work or a, a career.
1: Yeah. So my parents couldn't afford physical therapy, so they sent me a tap class. And I basically really learned like balance and walking in tap shoes, which are like very heavy shoes and kind of help you be grounded, honestly. But like I can walk in heels because I learned how to dance in heels. And I think that tap dancing changed my entire life because not only did it help me tackle my disability, but I was performing on stages since I was five years old. So I believe that I became a performer as an adult because I loved dancing so much as a kid. And, you know, I don't have any stage fright. I never get nervous. I love being on stage. I've done giant, giant shows in front of 35,000 people. And people are like, you're not nervous. You're not scared. And I'm like, no, because I grew up on stage. So I think that in addition to helping my body get stronger. It helped my mind and my soul be more confident and less self-conscious so that I was able to become a performer as an adult. Mm.
0: And how did comedy start to emerge? I, I know at the start you said of all the challenges you're facing about being a Palestinian, a Muslim, a female, living in New Jersey, I think you said was a challenge. Um, where, was it just <laughs> drawing on all of these? Is that where the comedy started to emerge or, or was comedy in your family
1: no my dad was really really funny he was probably the funniest dude i've ever met in the world um but comedy was not in my family and i was a total drama queen so i went to university to study acting and one of my favorite things to do was to find a really prominent place on campus to sit down and cry and i would cry in public to see if i was convincing And I was, so I was a total, total drama queen. I had no idea that I was funny. So I graduated college, I started auditioning and I couldn't get cast in anything. And then I realized that I did not see people on my TV who looked like me. There were barely any disabled people. If they were disabled, they were magically healed on the red carpet because they weren't being played by disabled people. And if they were disabled, they looked like you and not like me. It was almost impossible to see an ethnic woman who was also disabled. Where I did see myself was in the world of stand-up comedy. I feel like stand-up comedy is the home of the rejects. It's the place where people who are not beautiful, who are not skinny, who are not, you know, perfect, can really thrive. And I saw myself in stand-up comedy because I saw comedians like Richard Pryor. Richard Pryor, later in his career, became severely disabled. And so I was like, oh, well, if he can do comedy and he's disabled, then so can I. So I signed up for a comedy class. I had no idea what I was getting into. And apparently, I had a natural talent um, because... I guess they say that if you can act comedy, then you can do anything. And when I took my first comedy class, it was really easy for me to um, come up with jokes. I had really good stage presence. And by my third show, I was a paid comic. So it was the comedy class that taught me how to do comedy. But there was definitely an inherent talent. Um, So that's how I became a comedian. But I really didn't know I was funny until that first night in class. Now I teach comedy at my alma mater, Arizona State University. And I'll tell you, it can be taught. You don't have to be born with it. It can be taught. At the same time, some people will never be funny. Even though it can be taught, some people will never be funny.
0: <laughs> That's fascinating. I've interviewed a few comedians on the show as well. And I'm always interested in their their process and how they come up with material um guessing from talking to you already you have a a lot of material that just probably comes at you left right and center and you can make it funny how has that developed i suppose over the years how have you honed your your approach to practicing or putting it together practicing it and then bringing it to the to the stage
1: so i write comedy every single day Every single day, I sit down for at least an hour, two hours if I have them. I'm a touring stand-up comic, so I fly a lot. So sometimes I use my flight time to do this. But every single day, no matter what, I sit down and I write jokes and I think of jokes. What I don't do is I don't memorize jokes. I don't do my set as if it's a monologue. I like to freestyle. I come up with stuff on the spot. And what I do is... I have a bunch of jokes that I know can work and I call those my staples and I'll use that as like the beginning, the middle and the end of my routine. And then everything in between is me just trying new things, me having a conversation with my audience, me trying to keep up with current events. So I like to make sure that my comedy is a conversation that's very natural, that it's not a performance, but just, you know, friends having a conversation and you happen to pay me.
0: And when you think about it, and again, you're natural on stage, you have great confidence from what you had said. How have you developed a thick skin, or, or was that always there if you didn't have a good show, if you bombed? What was the. So uh,
1: I've never bombed, and I'm terrified. Because every comedian fails at some point, and I haven't failed yet. By the way, I try not to use bomb because I'm Muslim and <laughs> that's going to get everyone in trouble. Bad
0: bad word um, there, sorry. Yeah,
1: bad word. I mean, you should know this from your people too. So <laughs> I'll, I'll, could, I'll, I'll,
0: I'll be able to edit that out and put in a different <laughs> so word.
1: I'll just uh, say fail. But I haven't failed yet. And so every single night I go on stage and I have that little trepidation of, is tonight the night I fail? And I teach my students, nobody bats a thousand. But if you can get half of the room to laugh, the other half doesn't matter. The laughing people drown it out. So you're never gonna get the whole room to laugh. But I've never had an event where people just stared at me. It hasn't happened yet. My comedy has evolved because... I was a total dirtbag when I started out comedy. Um, My comedy idols slut-shamed people. They fat-shamed people. They used every slur in the book. I wanted to be cool like them. I used every slur in the book. And then later in my career, I realized that words matter, that I was hurting my audience, that I was invoking the worst moments of people's lives. And it wasn't worth it to me. I didn't want to hurt people. So I changed my comedy, not because I was censored, but because I wanted my audience to laugh and be happy and learn. And I didn't want to harm people. Now, if you're uncomfortable or I'm making you feel like you suck, it's because you do. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you mentioned you wanted your audience to learn through the comedy. Talk to me a bit about, about that. I'm interested. No, no,
1: no. Even though I said that, I didn't mean it. Um, I want my my audience to laugh. If they learn something, that's great. But if they learn nothing, that's great too. Like I'm not here to preach. I'm not here to be a teacher or an educator. I am an entertainer. If while I'm entertaining you, you're like, oh, you know what? We probably shouldn't hunt and kill Muslims. That's great.
0: Mm, Okay. Well, I'm sure they'll learn something from from every (laughs) show by the sounds of things.
1: Yeah, but sometimes I just talk about, you know, Squirrels. Sometimes there's really nothing to learn. It depends on my mood.
0: Well, there's a lot of squirrel <laughs> lovers out there. Perhaps uh talk to me about uh, you started a comedy festival around uh, Arabs, uh, <laughs> Arab comedy festival back in the I uh, maybe fifteen or more years ago. What was the the motivations around that?
1: So we just did our sixteenth festival, November fourteenth to the sixteenth, and my friend dean Obidala and I founded it post nine eleven. We wanted to combat the negative images of Arabs and Muslims in media. And we thought stand-up comedy was the best way to do it, because if you get people to laugh with you, they'll be less likely to kill you. And that's how we started the festival. And it was funny, because when we started it, we had to, like, scour the streets and the internet and, back in the day, Myspace, to find comedians, because there was no such thing as Arab comedy. And, you know, our first year we were lucky to find six people to put on stage. This year we had 30 comedians and we had to turn people down. And what I'm so excited about is not only has the festival survived, not only are we still doing sold out shows, but a lot of people coming up say that they would have never pursued comedy if they hadn't seen us doing it first. So a lot of the comedians who participate with us now came to the shows when they were 16 18 20 and decided to to do comedy so that's it's cool
0: wow very very inspirational it must be nice to uh to hear those folks coming to you
1: i feel old when they do it i'm like don't you dare tell me i influenced you i'm only like three years older than you and they're like no auntie you changed my life i'm like i'm not your aunt don't you aunt me
0: so the show i have is called one percent better and your new book coming out is out now called find another dream and when i was doing my kind of thinking about what i would ask both of them kind of suggest their what they're about right so maybe talk to me a bit about find another dream and hopefully it is uh, quite self-explanatory but uh, talk to me a little bit about
1: it so find another dream comes from a sentence i like to say which is if your dream turns into a nightmare find another dream a lot of people feel like if their dream dies that's it There's nothing else for them. Or that they have to keep pursuing something. And even though it's dousing the light in their soul and they no longer love it, they have to keep doing it because it's their dream. And if they don't achieve it, then they fail. I say no. I say if your dream turns into a nightmare, find another dream and keep dreaming and dreaming and dreaming until finally one of them comes true. Or you drop dead and you don't know you failed.
0: Is this something you obviously live towards as well? Have you? Yeah, had you to-
1: know, I wanted to be an actress and I became a comedian because I couldn't make the acting dream come true. And if I hadn't switched to comedy, if I hadn't let go of the first dream and started pursuing the comedy route, I wouldn't be where I am today. I'd still be bitter and auditioning in New York and I'd probably be a school teacher or something like that. But because I was able to say, okay, this is not working, what else can I do? I moved on to like an incredible life. And then the comedy brought me full circle and I ended up getting cast on a television show, which I'm doing right now in the United States called General Hospital.
0: Yeah, General Hospital is one I've heard of and I think I'm, I'm sure it's probably... Young. It's been it's-
1: on TV 56 years.
0: Wow. Yeah, that, so that was one of your original kind of dreams, and now it's come into reality. When you decided to give up the acting piece, I talk to this question a lot as well. When when do you know it's time to quit? What what was the kind of trigger to say I have to to move away from this? I
1: didn't love it anymore. I didn't love it anymore. I wasn't excited to go to auditions. I wasn't excited to memorize monologues. I felt like everything was futile. It was breaking me down when I said, it douses the light in your soul. It wasn't fun anymore. It wasn't bringing me joy anymore. And that's when I realized, like, this is killing me. I have to find something else.
0: Definitely good advice there. Is there anything you're afraid of, Missun?
1: I'm afraid of being kidnapped by a white man. So that's like a big thing that happens in America. So people get murdered all the time. That's fine. But in America, men that look similar to you, I'm not judging you or pigeonholing you. I'm just saying they look a lot like you. Usually they have glasses too. i take and these off. These t- are only reading glasses. <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> but what they do is they kidnap people and then they put them in their basements and make them like live with them for like 14 years and they make you like wear dresses and talk like their mom and there were three women that were found and freed after 14 years of captivity and because i'm a touring comic and i'm always touring by myself don't get any ideas people um i'm always afraid that somebody's gonna snatch me and make them live in my make me live in their basement is that irrational Um,
0: (laughs) i'm not here to judge at all but uh you know you're you're um, certainly at least i find when i get folks to share their fear it, it kind of maybe brings down the level of uh fear as a result maybe people no, listening and they can hasn't. they can <laughs> they can connect in with you uh over facebook and and maybe allay any of your fears and hopefully you know
1: man facebook just increases that fear every day i get a 100 messages that are you know dude saying i love you and i shall own you <laughs>
0: Okay, that's one of the reasons I'm thinking of giving up Facebook. But I don't t- typically get dudes <laughs> doing that to me. Thankfully, um,
1: I can send you half of mine.
0: Okay, send send them over, and maybe yeah. maybe maybe they, they'd make some good podcast interviews potentially as well. They
1: probably would.
0: <laughs> uh, no, it's very good. What is next for for you? How far do you plan? And you know, how I suppose how how do you plan?
1: My life is planned like a year in advance. It has to be. I travel and tour so much, and I'm a hustler. A hustler is someone who's like juggling nine different jobs at once. So I have a children's book series coming out. I have a comedy series I'm developing. I'm a constantly, constantly touring stand-up comic. I'm always on the road. I'm shooting General Hospital, the television show still, and I'm producing my comedy festival. So that's what I have coming up.
0: Well, wow, definitely keeps you busy, and I think it's good to have all those goals and and plans in place. Uh, keep you focused,
1: and I think all the things that we didn't talk about in the interview today, your listeners can hear on my Audible book, "Find Another Dream." Absolutely, it's really cheap, and it's available uh, worldwide.
0: I will be sharing links with that for sure, and I, I will be driving. We've been on the it.
1: bestseller list for five weeks, and one of the happiest moments in my life was week three i beat donald trump jr on the bestseller list i was five and he was nine and he had this huge press machine behind him and he was doing television appearances and his bad dad was tweeting advertisements every day and i beat him
0: well that's that's definitely grounds for celebration straight (laughs) away Uh, hopefully people listening go out and purchase the the book to keep him below you if if nothing nothing else.
1: Well they always say never compete against anyone else, just compete against yourself. I say no man, compete.
0: Compete. Comp- <laughs> yeah. competition is good. It'll drive you Win. forward. A couple of final ones to wrap up, Miss Soon. You, you're you're obviously inspirational to lots of people from different walks of life. Who inspires you?
1: Oprah Winfrey. I love Oprah Winfrey so much. I think It's incredible to see a woman of color who started with so little become such an icon. I think that the work that she does is work for good. And I clearly emulate her career and her style and her vibe. Um, My dad was really inspirational to me. He was super kind and he was such a good dad such a perfect example of what a parent should be. My mom inspires me because I fear her because failure is not an option. So I'm inspired to always excel so that my mother doesn't uh, nag me about failing. And my cat inspires me because she's really expensive to take care of and she gets me to hustle so that I can uh, buy her treats.
0: You uh, worked with a lot of amazing people as well Adam Sandler is one I believe you had a role in don't mess with the Zohan I didn't get to check that out but maybe talk to me briefly about how that all came about
1: it was a comedy dream come true uh five years into my career I got cast in a movie called don't mess with the Zohan I had a really good part it was a speaking role and I'll never forget I walked on set and it was Adam Sandler Rob Schneider Chris Rock, Kevin Nealon, Kevin James. It was like comedy heaven. And it was such a privilege to work with, like, the most talented people in the business. So many of them were Saturday Night Live um, veterans. I learned so much being on set. But the best part about You Don't Mess With The Zohan is Adam Sandler is actually cool. He's funny in real life without trying. He's humble. He's generous. And he's just like a... Like so much fun to work with. And I think like when you know someone who is so affluent, so successful, you expect them to look down their nose at you. And instead, he was just an equal. And it was such a learning experience to say, if I ever get to that level, I'm always going to be like Adam Sandler
0: brilliant yeah no that's really cool to hear he does come across uh, like a really nice guy and it's great to hear from somebody that's worked with him to to kind of back it up
1: and i spent a lot of months with him so you know everyone can look like a nice guy for one day but if you're a nice guy for three months then you're the real deal
0: yeah brilliant look Missun, thanks so much for taking out 30 minutes I know you're not feeling well so I I really appreciate the time you've given Uh, it was lovely to hear your story I really enjoyed it I hope you I
1: appreciate your patience so much because I'm kind of like backwards when it comes to technology, so I don't have Skype, I don't have an iPhone, and you have to add me on Facebook to be able to do this, so I appreciate your patience in no. making sure I could get on the air with you. No, and no. let's do this again someday when I'm not in a flu fog.
0: Absolutely. Have you toured uh, Europe or Ireland yet?
1: I, I haven't been to Ireland yet. I did a show in Liverpool and looked lovingly. Uh, mm. Ireland over the water. I I wanted it. I would love 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 to do a show in Ireland because, like I said, as a Palestinian, I've always been interested in your culture. Um, I did shows in Brussels. I did show in Rotterdam, in London, and mm. France, but I haven't been to Ireland yet.
0: Okay. Well, look, we'll we'll make it happen, and the next time we can do it. Uh, we can meet in person and uh, do a round two then
1: and i 've never done Edinburgh because i 'm never going to pay to do my own show
0: <laughs> well that good, good <laughs> a good, uh, good decision there um, yeah. i, I don 't think you'd have to do to pay to do your own one here in ireland there's there's no. there's a, there's a good number of comedy festivals in, in Ireland and it 's growing all the time so um, well,
1: anything you think I should look into, send it my way.
0: I will. I will indeed. You're There's
1: my new Irish agent. I have uh, just kinged you that. G-
0: give me 20, 20%, is it? Or what's the, the going 10%. rate for
1: It's 10%. Oh, it's
0: 10, is it? Okay, I right. I my well. agents
1: 10%, <laughs> my lawyer
0: 5%. All right. Well, I'll take 10. No problem <laughs> okay. whatsoever. Great stuff, Missoune. Thanks so much. Have a great rest of the day. And I look forward to sharing this, uh, as always, with the listeners.
1: I can't wait to hear it. Thank you Thanks so much. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. Goodbye. Good, good bye luck. Bye.
0: Bye-bye. So this is the outro of the podcast, guys. You got to the end and that is great. Please hang in here for another couple of minutes. I know most people won't, but maybe there's something here of interest. So check this out. First off, thanks so much for listening to this one, as well as maybe the hundred or so that's gone before it. Why not check them out if you haven't already. There's lots of good stuff in there. The whole podcasting journey for me has been a huge learning and I'm trying to help you guys learn and improve as well so much has changed over the last few years since i started it i've really realized lots of the goals that i put out there and then realized so many unexpected benefits as well and i think anytime you take on action towards a goal you're going to pick up lots of things that you didn't expect along the way and hopefully they're good things in this particular episode was there any one or two things that jumped out Maybe you could take a pen and paper out right now because this is something that you might think of during the episode but never do. Do it now. Take it out. Write down a goal that you're going to set yourself as a result of something you learned from this episode. Put a plan in place and then work towards it. Applying yourself deliberately over time. Take ownership. Build a habit. Improve. Get 1% better. Share accountability with somebody you know in a buddy system and learn and grow and improve. That's what it's all about. That's my hopefully inspirational piece done other areas to note check out the website robofthegreen.ie you can consume everything there for free there is obviously the podcast there's video one minute monday clips there's articles Uh, not enough but i'd like to put more there if you're interested in putting one there let me know and there's a get better app page which i'm starting to add new content to over time there's a feedback page if you want to email me rob at rob of the green.ie instead but it's all about trying to engage you and get you to a place of improvement so i'm open to feedback as i said ways you can help me is by following me on the socials at rob of the green.ie is the website or at rob of the green and all the social platforms subscribe to the podcast on any of the apps that you might listen to it on talk about it Tell a friend about it. Tell your family members about it. Share some of the ideas, not only to your friends, but to me. Is there anything I can improve upon? Sign up to the newsletter. That's there as well. I'm experimenting again with a group called Slack, Rob of the Green on Slack. This is really for a shared accountability environment and sharing ideas. You can sign up to that on the website as well. All of this is obviously all free, but there is also an option where you could subscribe to my Patreon site and make a small donation for the content that we do. It's there. It's totally up to you. Everything that is coming in through that or could come in through that will go into making the podcast better. So to close, I am always trying to improve and get better change is difficult i know that but it's all about taking the first step learning something applying yourself moving forward you can do this i've been able to improve pushing myself outside the comfort zone learning and i think if i can do it so can you don't overreach don't set yourself unrealistic goals one percent at a time is enough but it's all about starting and that will bring you on your pursuit of betterness to a great place thanks for sticking to the very end talk to you next time and take care good luck